Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll speak with Chelsea Jallo, the co-chair of the board of directors for Sunshine House, which won the grand prize at Fast Pitch 2017. And she'll share her experiences at this year's Fast Pitch. Then we'll sit down with Raymond Curry and Clayton Sandy of Circles of Reconciliation and learn more about the upcoming Vital Conversation being held on April 12th called Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures. We'll also continue our coverage of the At the Heart of Human Rights is Human Dignity Conference, which was hosted by the Islamic Social Services Association. This week, we'll speak with Bernie Farber, the executive director of the Mosaic Institute, on the subject of anti-Semitism and how we can combat racism and bigotry in our society. And what if you set out to meet new people from all walks of life to share their stories through social media? Carl Sire does just that for his project called The Stranger Connection, and we'll learn about it later on in the program. And as always, we'll hear from Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's Citizen Journalism Project. We got all this, some great, great tunes, and a lot more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Happy Saturday morning, Robert. It, is this an April Fool's joke? It's April 1st. No. I know. I've seen calendars today. And Do not adjust your clocks. Oh my goodness. Do it is Saturday. Wow. You, you are listening. Brand new day. A brand new day. It's a new show. Well, pretty much the same show. Same guys. Same haircuts. Yeah. Same, same great wonderful banter as you can tell by what we're saying right now but a new day it mm-hmm. is a new day robert how are you feeling on saturday morning now how do you feel about this new change that we have on cjnu i feel pretty good i'm glad that i haven't been pranked um hoping to go the whole day without uh falling victim to an april fool's joke are of you a big any ap- sort. are you a big prankster or an april fool's i can't say that i am no you never have no i used to have a uh, a rubber snake that was a full like probably four feet long and i put that in my in my mom's bed when i was like i don't know 10 years old and she screamed that's the only time and then i have also taped down the uh the classic when you tape down the the sprayer on the back of your sink oh yeah tape that down and uh, maybe i am a practical joker actually now that i think about it i know see i've got to i've got to be careful about you it's all in good fun though so if you hear a whoopee cushion a little bit later on in the show you'll know that that was me Happy April Fools to Robert! In <laughs> today, I gotta watch out yeah, for the exactly. rest of the program. Today on the show, we're going to be speaking with the winner, the grand prize winner, Chelsea Jallo of the Fast Pitch 2017. She won. She took home a ten thousand dollar grant to Sunshine House. Um, but uh, before we get Chelsea into the studio, we're going to uh, play Chicago with Saturday in the Park for our first day on Saturday here on CGNU. You're listening to River City 360.
Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning and we're now joined in studio by a very special guest. We have Chelsea Jallo, the co-chair of the board of directors at Sunshine House. Good morning. And the champion <laughs> of Fast Pitch 2017. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So we heard a, a, a brief clip from you last week. We spoke right as you walked off the stage. So now that the dust has settled and you've sort of let everything, uh, you know, wash over you a bit how do you feel about the entire experience yeah I think that um and someone else has asked me like, has it sunk in yet and I feel like the the more days that pass since the actual competition the more surprised that I feel just because I reflect on what a great job everyone did and just the super high caliber of the pitches themselves how much work everyone put in and I think that um it certainly doesn't feel like oh now it's sunk in I think it feels more and more surprising very cool yeah that was sort of a sentiment that everyone said throughout the entire process was like how good everyone was and I For would echo sure. that too, especially compared to last year. Like this was this being fast pitch the second time that we've done it here in Winnipeg. Um, but what was the process like for you from the very from day one? How did you change from when you walked in the door to where you're sitting now? I think that the, the the whole process, even from the very beginning, really lent itself to the final product. So I was thinking about that a bit. And even at the very beginning, before we got matched with our coaches, when we had the speed dating, where um, each participant got to meet with each of the 15 pairs of coaches, and we had five minutes to kind of say, what's our organization? What would be kind of our position on the pitch? And even just thinking about that, because Sunshine House is an organization with so many diverse programs, thinking about, okay, how am I going to condense this into to a five-minute kind of introduction for meeting brand new people that I've never interacted with. So even from that very beginning, um, I was really thinking about how do I take this organization that's doing so many different things and really distill it down to the core values and the core program so that I can share that with other people. So it was from the very beginning. And then working with the coaches, um, I worked with Doug Darling uh, from Tripwire Media and Alana Keefe from Women's Social Enterprise. And they were so great because they have such different backgrounds so we would have an idea or I would have an idea and they would have different takes on the idea and it was just really a synergy of everyone's efforts. Well it all came together and you were awarded the $10,000 grant to Sunshine House so you talk about condensing the story of Sunshine mm-hmm. House and every because it's such a wide um, spreading organization yes. sort of. Tell, so give me the let's say 30 seconds. The 30 second. <laughs> of, of what Sunshine House is and does here in Winnipeg. Okay well Sunshine House had its roots in Kelly Shiva Aid Services in the 90s So we have quite a long history and we've moved um, more recently in about the last 10 years to not just focusing on HIV services, but really a community health promotion approach. So finding groups that are underserved, really listening to those groups, 
therapists to hear what are the challenges and harms that they're experiencing and how can we make programs to help address those needs. So we have diverse programs from things like foot care for individuals who um, might require some, some assistance with taking care of their feet to programs for people exploring gender and sexual identity to uh, a band program for people who, um, who use the drop-in services. So we have just a wide variety of things that really are grounded in trying to promote wellness and health for everyone in the community. Well done. You, you, ver- you, you didn't ver- cut my mic. You're very home. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, like, that that's an area where there's probably a lot of evolution and there's a lot of changing issues almost week to week, I would imagine, for sure, year to year. Yes. So how do you guys stay sort of ahead of the game when it comes to... Um, sexual health and and all sorts of things that people are coming to you that you're like, oh, I didn't know that was an issue. I Mm -hmm. didn't know that was a problem. I think that Sunshine House does a really good job at staying plugged into the community. So when we develop programs or we develop initiatives, it's not because there were a group of people who are working in isolation from the community saying, hey, I think this would be a really great idea and people need X, Y, or Z. Um, Our programs are very participant driven and that means that the participants and their life experiences, their needs are really what is informing what sorts of funding we go after, what sorts of programs that we develop, because that's very important to maintain that very strong connection. For sure. So there's obviously a lot of stories that come through Sunshine House. How important do you think the storytelling aspect was to Fast Pitch? Because you heard that we had Dave and Kate on the show mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and we spoke specifically about storytelling. So when, and Dave, or I mean, um, Doug is at Tripwire is obviously a great storyteller yes, in, sure. in the video world. So how did that affect your fast pitch when you're thinking about story and thinking about all the different stories that come through Sunshine House? Definitely. And I think one of our very first workshops with Dave and Kate, because I came in with my you know list in my head of Sunshine House does this and they're great because of this. And they really encouraged us to not just that our, our pitch could not just be about the organization needs right. this. The pitch really had to be about connecting with the story of a person who uses the services at the organization. And that really shifted my thinking um, because I had to really think about, okay, who are, what would be kind of a representation of a typical person who accesses one of our programs, recognizing that there's not just one kind of person who accesses Sunshine House, and what would be meaningful for that person. So it really um, changed kind of my initial thought process, which was what would be great for the organization to what would connect and be meaningful for this person who uses and accesses the organization. For sure. And it worked. because It did work. So thanks so much to Dave and Kate (laughs) for uh, that massaging of the idea, for sure. For sure. So how has this experience um, changed your approach to uh, philanthropy in Winnipeg and helping out the community here in Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, well, in terms of philanthropy in Winnipeg, I think the one of the biggest takeaways for me was just being so inspired by all of the diverse work that's happening. Uh, and many of the participants we said amongst each other that we weren't familiar with other people's organizations or the different work they were doing. So it was a wonderful learning opportunity. And just to see like the breadth of services available and also the passion that people have and seeing all the different kind of philanthropic support that's supporting each of these different organizations to me that was really inspiring to see all the great work that's being done for sure and what is what do you you kind of answered this already but what does that say to you about Winnipeg and sort of the community the philanthropic community that has been fostered here for so long well I think 
I, I mean, I think Sunshine House is a prime example of an organization that would not exist without um, the philanthropic community. We don't have core funding, which means it's always kind of a scramble to figure out, okay, what can we apply for and, and what programs can we support and what decisions do we have to make? So having organizations like the Winnipeg Foundation, like some of the other people we receive funding from, like um, Healthy Sexuality and Harm Reduction at WRHA, like small grants from Central Neighborhood Development Corporation, all of those are so important. And also private donors. Wow, we're so profoundly grateful to private donors who support our programs and initiatives. And so I think that all of those things, I mean, we would not exist without the philanthropic community in Winnipeg. So I can't overstate the importance of people getting involved. Definitely. So how can people get involved? Do you um, are, do you have uh, volunteers at Sunshine House? Do you, well, how, give us some information about how people can get involved with Sunshine House. Great, I would love to do that. So we, as I said, we have a variety of programs. Um, I would encourage people to check out our website, which is www.sunshinehousewpg.org. Uh, we have information about some of our different programs. We also have a volunteer forum that's on our website if people would like to get involved in that way. Um, we are always accepting donations. If people would prefer to donate financially as opposed to their time, we would welcome financial support. We also have a number of uh, things like a clothing bank in particular. We're always looking for men's clothing. We find we get quite a few donations of women's clothing, but men's clothing is wonderful. Um, we have, you know, sewing machines where the Like That program creates wonderful costumes. So if people had, you know, resources about fabric or, you know, costumes, then those would be welcome. Cool. We have a band. So, you know, keep your eye out in terms of when we have concerts. We just participated in the Make um, Poverty History concert at West End Cultural Center with a variety of other groups, oh, cool. which was awesome. So keep your eye out for JD and the Sunshine Band events and, um, we have a Facebook page that we're really present on, so check us out, Winnipeg or Sunshine House, Winnipeg, uh, on Facebook, and we would love to have your support at events or through donations or your time. Fantastic! So search out Sunshine House anywhere, Facebook, uh, SunshineHouseWPG.org. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. I got that right. Chelsea Jallo, thank you so much for talking to us. Congratulations on your championship win for Fast Pitch 2017, and uh, good luck this year. Thank you so much, Nolan. Thank you. Thanks, Nolan. And to learn more about Sunshine House, you can visit sunshinehousewpg.org. Or if you'd like to learn more about the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch, you can visit fastpitchwinnipeg.org. Coming up after the break, Raymond Curry and Clayton Sandy will be joining us in studio to tell us more about the next vital conversation called Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures. But first, in keeping with our Saturday theme, here's Come Saturday Morning by the Sandpipers, right here on River City 360. Saturday morning I'm going away with my friend We'll Saturday spend till the end of the day Just I and my friend We'll travel for miles in our Saturday smile then we'll move on, but we will remember long after Saturday's gone. Come Saturday morning, come Saturday morning, 
City 360 has been bringing you views and news from around Winnipeg right here on CJNU every Sunday morning for over a year now. As much as we love Sundays, we love Saturdays even more. So as of right now, River City 360 will be airing on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Please join me, Nolan Bicknell, and my co-host Robert Zirk as RC360 makes the switch to Saturdays at 8 right here on 93.7 CJNU-FM. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning and we are now joined by two very special guests, Raymond Curry and Clayton Sandy. They are with Circles of Reconciliation and we're going to be talking about an event coming up on April 12th. It's the next vital conversation that is being presented by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with Circles of Reconciliation called Bridging Divides Shaping Futures. Raymond, Clayton, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you. You're welcome. So first of all, could you tell us a little bit about Circles of Reconciliation and how that got started? The day the interim report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came out, I read it online, and the last paragraph begins with a sentence in bold, and it says, uh, if someone wants to do something, you don't have to wait till the final report comes out. So I thought, well, I wanted to do something. So I put together a kind of a broad proposal of uh, idea of having circles of people, Indigenous, non-Indigenous, talking together, and spent nine months consulting Indigenous people, just listening to their ideas about how to proceed. And after nine months, we formed an advisory group, a partnership with Indigenous people. And with the advisory group, we've refined the proposal and uh, decided we would have 10 people, five Indigenous, five non-Indigenous, and each group would meet 10 times. And very early, Clayton and Kona Cochran, and later, a little later, Belinda Vandenbroek, 
came on board, and they have been absolutely critical to the success of this project. What are some of the things that Circles of Reconciliation does? Our main focus, our main goal, is to get people talking to each other, because uh, the Commission says over and over again that we need to listen, and we need to listen carefully, and then we need to act. As Murray Sinclair has said several times, don't feel ashamed, that doesn't do any good. Don't feel guilty, that doesn't do any good. Do something. Act. And so the calls to action are are addressed to us. So we feel that uh, we begin by listening. So we've developed on our website about 15 themes. Everything from what is reconciliation to... uh, residential schools, intergenerational trauma, the past system, the justice system, the 60s scoop, Métis identity and nationhood, so on. And at each meeting, a different theme is discussed for, uh, is presented for about 10-12 minutes, and then the rest of the hour is spent with a talking stick going around, giving everybody a chance to share their feelings and their thoughts about what has been discussed. Clayton, I want to ask you about the vital conversation coming up that Circles of Reconciliation is a part of with the Winnipeg Foundation. Tell us a little bit about the vital conversation, what people can expect when they go to Bridging Divides Shaping Futures. I know that uh, the people that we have that are coming in and either facilitating or co-facilitating are people who've either been products or byproducts of the residential school system and people who speak from experience. And I think that's really important in today's world is to basically talk to people and understand everything about the impact and the feelings and just, just everything that I think First Nations people have been feeling for many, many years. And I just retired from the Manitoba government for nearly after 40 years. And, and just, you know, just over the past 40 years, just, just, just the stuff that I witnessed and watched and just, just the extreme racism that I felt many times and just from colleagues and whoever. And, you know, I think it's, it was so important for me just to try to educate as much people as possible. So when this fell in my lap, it was perfect because now I have an opportunity to basically share either my experience or my family's experience or my parents' experience about about the experience of, of residential schools. And I've always felt that non-native people have a difficult time coming up and asking people about our experience. So I think this is a perfect time. And I think what we're going through it, through through now in the last maybe 15 years, I think society is prepared to actually start listening to our stories with open heart. I spoke with Kevin Lamaru, who will be the keynote speaker at the event a few weeks ago, and we'll have that interview uh, in a future episode of River City 360. But he had mentioned how education was very important, and that was something that, I, that I'd heard also at a previous human rights conference, and how a lot of Canadians don't know the actual history of their country. It's a very watered-down history that doesn't reflect some of the actual things that happened and the reason why reconciliation is so important. We were never taught about residential schools in uh, when we went to school. And neither was I, and yes. I went to school in the 90s. Like. Well, yes. Um, I, uh, I learned all kinds of things about English history and American history, but I didn't learn any Canadian history. Yeah. I, I, I remember watching a video from the 1960s, and it was, it was someplace, I think it was maybe Regina and they're interviewing this elderly, elderly non-native man, and he and he just said, "I think there's a residential school over there someplace, but as long as they're out of sight, out of mind, that makes me happy." And this was in the '60s, and yeah, so just stuff like that. And and, and I've always I've always felt that I think Canadians know more about other people's history than they know of their own. Even uh, two nights ago, when uh, Ryan Moran 
at the panel following the uh, Secret Path presentation. He said only 40% of Canadians know about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That's incredible. But the positive thing was that 95% of people in this national sample wanted to know and wanted to learn and wanted to make changes. That's the encouraging part. So we think that our circles do three things. We offer an opportunity, we offer a structure, and we offer good, informed information. And that kind of ties in with what I was about to ask, which is, why do you think that having this vital conversation on reconciliation, why do you think that it's so important and timely to have at this time? Well, I think probably over the last maybe 15 years, everything that's been going on in Canada, and especially with all the commissions that have taken place and all the money that's been spent and the different governments that either listen to Native people or haven't listened to Native people, and now we have a government that's prepared to support us in many different ways. And many times we don't get that opportunity. So I think we have that opportunity now. So I think we have, you know, the right people in place that are prepared to actually come forward and help out as much as possible to, to educate people. Like my, my boys are probably your age probably, probably and they, they learned about residential schools, you know. And, and, you know, their friends are all multi-race and it seems to be like the generations are changing and, you know, we're becoming such a multi-race that, no, I think sometimes we're being forced into it. There's an urgency to do this before what someone called uh, reconciliation fatigue sets in. We need to act now. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission did such an extraordinary job of laying out the history. And if we don't listen and learn from it, the consequences will be dire because the Indigenous communities have been incredibly patient We just can't keep asking them to be patient and wait for years and years for things to change. We can do it now. I have found since since I've been part of this project that my my role was to train the facilitators to do the circles. And and, and, and so I got a chance to visit quite a few of the circles. And and many of the circles of the people, that the non-native people I've met in the circles, this is actually the first time hearing information about redemptive schools, and they've been around for, you know, probably most of them are in their probably <coughs> 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, but they're, they're, they're coming in and they're just wanting to understand something and they want to do something. At the um, end of our 10 sessions, we have a, an exit survey where we ask them about their experience in the circles. And one person wrote, it's one thing to read about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission It's quite another thing to sit across the room in a circle and actually talk and listen. It's a totally different experience, and he was very moved by the opportunity the circles provided. How do you think that this national conversation on reconciliation is going, and what do you think it needs to happen for it to continue moving forward in the future? Well, again, I go back to education. And and, and a couple of circles that we've had were with new immigrants also, too. So Im- the new immigrants are kind of feeling the same thing that we felt for many years. And so they're coming to Canada and they're starting to feel the same way, the, the, the attitudes, the racist attitudes. And so there's a strong connection with, you know, with the newcomers that formed a couple of circles. And, and it's just a matter of basically just getting people to open up their minds and their hearts and to understand that we, we all have the same blood running through our veins, you know. It's quite amazing all the uh, initiatives that are going on in the country even in Winnipeg alone, but also elsewhere in the country. There's just a ton of initiatives. A day doesn't go by that I don't receive news about another event going on relating to reconciliation. 
Our project is a small one, in a sense, compared to a lot of other things that are going on. But we still think it's important because uh, I think it was Margaret Mead who said, don't think that individuals working can not make change. That's the only way that change happens in history. So we want to be part of that change. The next Vital Conversation, as we mentioned earlier, is happening on Wednesday, April 12th from 9 to 2.30 p.m. Dr. Kevin Lamaru is the keynote speaker. You've heard him on River City 360 before. We'll also be speaking with him in a future episode, so be sure to stay tuned for that. And we'll also have coverage of the Vital Conversation right here on River City 360, so be sure to stay tuned. I want to thank uh, Dr. Raymond Curry and Clayton Sandy for joining me again uh, today in the studio and speaking with me about the Vital Conversation. Thank you again so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Robert, and thank you to Clayton, Sandy, and Raymond Curry. For, few, for more information or to register to attend the vital conversation called Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures, you can visit wpgfdn.org slash vital signs, all one word. As we mentioned last week on the program, we spoke with several of the speakers at the At the Heart of Human Rights is Human Dignity conference, which recently took place a couple couple weeks ago now. After the break, we're going to hear from Bernie Farber, who spoke on the subject of anti-Semitism. But first, here are 101 Strings with Dear Heart, right here on River City 360.
who doesn't love Saturdays? I'm Nolan Bicknell, host of River City 360, a weekly news and interview show right here on CJNU. We loved Saturdays so much, we decided to move the whole show there. So, moving forward, River City 360 will air every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on CJNU. So, we'll see you on... Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. And as we mentioned before the break, we're continuing our series of discussions from the At the Heart of Human Rights is Human Dignity Conference. Today we'll have our interview with Bernie Farber, the executive director of the Mosaic Institute, and he spoke on the subject of anti-Semitism. Bernie talked about how the changing political climate and the rise of hate speech on the internet have fueled an alarming increase in anti-Semitism and racism. Canada's always tried to balance the concept of free speech with the evil of hate speech, and we've done so uh, uh, utilizing law. Four years ago, a tool that we had that was under the aegis of the Canadian Human Rights Act, it was called Section 13, which dealt specifically with hate on the internet, was repealed as a result of interplay uh, or advocacy by some extreme right-wing elements in Canada that spoke to uh, you know, a conservative government, and the law was actually repealed. Today, especially in the light of an escalation of unprecedented proportions of anti-Semitism, of Islamophobia, of anti-gay bigotry, we need every tool that we can get. And so I think it's incumbent upon lawmakers to take a second look. It doesn't have to be Section 13 all over again, but potentially redrafting a piece of legislation that would address hate on the internet. And I say this because today the internet is the tool of recruitment for white supremacy, probably around the world, but certainly in North America. And if we can have just another tool to help diminish that, that would be the best thing that we could do to protect society. During the session, Bernie mentioned some very alarming examples that further reinforced why it's so important to actively combat racism and anti-Semitism. It's actually quite, as I said before, unprecedented. I mean, when I used to work for the Canadian Jewish Congress, we had three bomb threats a year across the country. That was considered frightening. Today, in the span of eight weeks, across North America, there have been over 250 bomb threats specifically targeting Jewish community buildings. And in Canada alone, there have been eight. Eight. So my fear is that this will become like normal. It'll become okay. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to fight it, but I do know that we have to fight it. One of the great points that Bernie made was getting away from the idea of tolerance, because who among us wants to merely be tolerated? Um, and instead, he proposed moving toward ensuring that people feel accepted and embraced. He referenced a study out of the University of Illinois that references five ways that people can deal with intolerance and hatred. In a nutshell, we're looking at education. We're looking at ensuring not to marginalize people and to ensure at the same time that we stand in the shoes of the victim and so that we can identify with the victim and to understand that words have power. And from hateful words come hateful actions. And so all of these put together are a formula for hatred. And so we have to be conscious of it and be conscious about 
how we deal with each other. And of course, making natural coalitions. Some people would think that Jews and Muslims are not you know, natural, a natural coalition. Quite the contrary. I believe it is a very natural coalition because we do understand each other's pain. Those are the types of things that this study was, was, was addressing. It's a very important study as well. Bernie mentioned that society plays a role in mobilizing and authorizing evil and warned that we can't be complacent and allow these things to happen. And all, all we have to do is look at what's going on today in the United States. And you do have a president that has embraced racism and has embraced bigotry and has tried to strip away rights from both American citizens, Muslim citizens, and those outside of the United States. And that's, you know, in that study is a very first step where the state begins to strip away rights and people remain silent. We have to be, my, my late father used to say, you want to get something done, you got to open the mouth. It's time for people to open the mouth. The leaders have to lead but people have to sometimes lead the leaders, and that's our role today. I asked Bernie why it was so important for a conference like At the Heart of Human Rights is Human Dignity to bring people together. Well, a conference like this is not as much sometimes for the dialogue as it is for the connections. So here we have Muslims and Christians and Jews and Buddhists and Sikhs and many other different faith groups and ethnicities are coming together over a common concern and we're hearing some wonderful talks, but we're also having this opportunity to connect to each other. And it's these connections that are just as important as the talk. It's knowing that that you have a lot of people that are willing to work with you. And also, as I, when I spoke to Shahina prior to the conference, it's about having tools in your toolkit and knowing what you can do when you're confronted with racism or to be proactive about preventing racism. Yep, no, always. You know, standing with the victim against the victimizer that's what it's all about, and uh, it's everybody's responsibility. Bernie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for uh, having me speak today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much again to Bernie Farber, the executive director of the Mosaic Institute, for taking the time to speak with me. And if you'd like to learn more about the work of the Mosaic Institute, which strives to promote peace and justice among Canada's diverse communities, please visit mosaicinstitute.ca. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg is on his way into the studio, as he is almost every week, to tell us about Winnipeg through the lens of Community News Commons, which is better known as CNC. First, before Noah gets on in here, we are going to play Ray Conniff with Stranger in Paradise, right here on River City 360.
Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning and we're now joined in studio as we are almost every week by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons, friend of the show and just the light of my life. <laughs> Noah, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Nolan? I'm trying to top every week's introduction. <laughs> wow. I don't know how I'm going to get past light of my life, to be honest, but here we are. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're that that you're a happy. Host. Thank you. I've painted myself into quite the corner. <laughs> Anyways, we have you on the show to talk about Winnipeg through a very unique lens because it's through the lens of c- citizen journalists that write for CNC. Mm-hmm. Now, anyone can become a citizen journalist by going to communitynewscommons.org and hitting the "Become a Citizen Journalist" button in the top right-hand corner of the page, mm-hmm. and then you just write whatever story you want about your community about an event about anything you really want any story you really want to tell so tell our listeners what are some of the stories that people are publishing on cnc right now well they are publishing stories with my help as editor and convener and so what they try and do is um look to me for some expertise with regards to how to you know make formatting and anything like yeah, that. yeah and just how to make it as uh, as journalistically interesting uh and responsible as possible and um this week, I really like the story by Leanne Fournier, uh, who's a great writer. Uh, and Leanne um, did a story about a concert for Carter, is what it's called. And it's in support of Cancer Care Manitoba. And it's all about um, uh, a 19-year-old uh, named Carter Holdsworth, who passed away on his 19th birthday, actually, uh, three years ago. Um, and... Um, he passed away from cancer, a very rare form of cancer that um, typically strikes uh, young people between the ages of 10 and 20. And um, it was a very sad thing um, when it happened, of course, and the community was impacted by it. And some friends and family uh, of Carter Holdsworth got together and uh, they held a concert, a, a benefit concert, uh, to, in support of cancer care uh, that first year. And um, they did it again the second year. And this is the third year that they've done it. And um, it was a really um, terrific show. And uh, Leanne Fournier uh, writes about Carter, writes about the show, and about the people behind um, this particular benefit. And uh, it's, a, it's a very touching piece that um, gives you an idea of uh, some of the impact that Carter uh, had on people and sort of how they're trying to keep his memory alive mm-hmm. because um, um, one of the organizers, Nikki Taylor, um, she she said that Carter would say, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to fight it, I'm going to win, and I'm going to get out there and support people and talk about my experience. And so hmm. in this way, you know, because he didn't survive um, and Carter wasn't able to be at the concert, of course, uh, Nikki is saying that um, Carter is still doing what he wanted to do in his life, and that's the best part about having a concert like that. So oh. it's a it's a very touching thing, and they were able to raise five thousand dollars for wow. cancer research uh, through ticket sales and a silent auction, and um, combine that with last year's total and the year before that, they've raised a total of twenty thousand dollars for cancer care in Manitoba. Always a tragedy when um, someone passes away that young but it's it's pretty inspiring to see that his legacy is going to continue well you know and uh, nikki taylor as i was saying the uh, one of the organizers of the show she was playing some music there as well as were some other bands and nikki at some point said um she said uh, a show of hands uh, by those of you who've been affected by cancer and every person yeah. in the room raised their hand for sure uh, so I mean it really gives you an idea of how uh, this disease touches many lives and um, and why it's important that um, 
you know, Leanne Fournier, the writer of this piece, thought it'd be important to um, to tell about it and to uh, and to think about uh, this type of uh, cool. this type of concert. So any kind of story you can write about on CNC, Noah will help you, no matter how experienced or inexperienced you are as a writer or as a journalist. Noah can build you up into something great. <laughs> yeah, right? I hope so. <laughs> so what else is, I understand uh, Julian from uh, yeah, Julian CKUW Cooper. That's uh, right. is, wrote a story for CNC as well. Yeah, and uh, you know, we have a lot of partners. Uh, Community News Commons has a lot of partners, including right here, CGNU. Um, another one of our partners is CKUW, 95.9 nine is the um is the uh, on the dial for for that station it's their university of winnipeg radio station and julian cooper has uh an audio story as well as uh some um some uh article and uh and some photos about students spending a week uh this past month just being outside um as a homeless person would be so they went to school and then they would spend five days uh, basically sleeping outside um you know underneath some tarps or now when i when i saw you send the link to me earlier Mm -hmm. i thought okay yeah they're sleeping in tents or they've got sleeping bags or they've got you know whatever they're sleeping on a bench but it is no there were it looks like they're sleeping in garbage or you know on cardboard boxes and there were many restrictions basically it was a um it was a uh, non-profit organization called Ray uh, Resources Assistance, Assistance for Youth. Youth. Yeah, exactly. And they, they had this Five Days for the Homeless, uh, which was a cross-country fundraiser um, during that week uh, in the middle of March there. And, um, and there were some very specific uh, rules with regards to, uh, like, restrictions that uh, made... Um, you know, for sort of a more of a homelessness feel. Such like as a legitimate not, experience. That's right. So you weren't allowed to use a tent. Uh, you weren't allowed to use any camping shelters. Basically, you just had to find whatever you could find. And, and uh, I mean, you could bring a sleeping bag out there, which some people have done. And it was very cold, of course, earlier yeah. on in March. And, um, you, you know, they would, basically the students would attend class as usual, and then they would sleep outdoors uh, for the five days. And so she visits three students who uh, had a very interesting experience doing that. She does a little radio story on it. And, um, and so you can click on the audio link, Five Days for the, for the Homeless. Uh, it's a nice little story by Julian Cooper, uh, and she has posted it on communitynewscommons.org. The pictures are cool. It's mm-hmm. multimedia journalism. You don't just have to write if you want to shoot photos, if you want to take some video or do, do some audio interviews, all of the above, and we'll find a way to uh, help you publish it and help you tell any story that you feel like telling. Exactly. So, no, at the end of our time together... We ask you to bring in a song that our listeners maybe have not heard before that's maybe a little Manitoba flavor. So what have you got for us this week? Well, certainly a Manitoba flavor. Our listeners may have heard uh, this uh, singer-songwriter before. He's a bilingual singer-songwriter. His name is Justin Lacroix. And um, he's kind of um, a bit of folk, a bit of rock, a little blues. Uh, and um, he shares lots of stories of love and loss. Uh, good times, life on the road, things like that. He's been around for uh, the better part of a decade, and uh, in 2005, he he started. Um, he, he attracted a few other people to his music project, and it was the Justin Lacroix Band, uh, and they have a live show really that's um, very authentic, very uplifting. Uh, the London Free Press said they're a little folk, a little rock, and a lot of heart. And <laughs> that's what you get from that band. Awesome. And that's, that's, that's the truth. You can see them live at the LaGrange, LaGrange Cafe this coming Wednesday, April 5th at 9 p.m. And you can also see them on Saturday, May the 6th at, 6 at, at, at 8 p.m. Saturday, May the 6th, uh, Centennial Concert Hall. There oh. is a 
um, special concert called Manitoba Mon Amour, which is basically a number of French um, language cool. uh, artists that are coming together to play uh, at the Centennial Concert. You should check that out. It's, it's great. Lots of different artists. Uh, but I'd like to feature Justin Lacroix this week because um, he's a lot of fun. This is from his album Ticket to Tokyo. It's a tune called A Jamais, right here on River City 360 with Nolan Bicknell and Robert Zirk on 93.7 CJNU.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. And before we go today, we want to take a moment to ask our listeners a question that we would like to hear your answers to. So there are two ways that you can do this. You can either use your smartphone to record your answer with your uh, voice memo or sound recording app, and you can send us, uh, just send it to us in an email at rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. Or you can always call our listener line at 204-944-9474, extension 360. So here's the question that we'd like to ask you, and it ties in with the upcoming vital conversation on bridging divides and shaping futures that we referenced earlier on in the program. What does truth and reconciliation mean to you, your family, your organization, and your community? So again, We want to know, what does truth and reconciliation mean to you, your family, your organization, and your community? So we'd love to hear your responses to this question. Again, you can call our listener line and leave a message with your response at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or if you have a smartphone, you can use that to record your answer and then send it to us as an email at rivercity 360 at wpgfdn.org it's rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org and we'll play back some of the responses on social media and on an upcoming episode of River City 360 Thank you so much for listening on the inaugural episode Saturday morning of River City 360 a huge thanks to all of our guests for talking to us today And if you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, if you'd like to listen to any of our past episodes, or if you'd like to hit that subscribe button on our podcast, you can visit us online. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And if you missed our phone number from earlier... We've got it one more time for you. Uh, And we always appreciate general feedback about the program as well, or even if you want to send us a song request, or if you have a really great story idea, someone that's doing great work in the community and you'd like for uh, us to maybe look into possibly doing a story, give us a call. We would love to hear your feedback. Again, the number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. That's 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 and uh, on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for RiverCity360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next week on Saturday, of course. Have a great weekend.